All right. Well, hey, we'll get started. Um, I want to honor everybody's time. I know it's a weeknight and some of you guys are I've already put kids to bed. And um, for some of you, like your night's just getting started. So wherever you find yourself, uh, I know that when we have workshops like this, some of you attend so much church, some of you don't. So I'm Brandon. I uh, serve as lead pastor at Midtown. Really glad to have you guys. Before I kind of jump into a quick little intro, um, just a couple of housekeeping things. There's a handout that Kristen's going to be working through tonight that is in the chat. She dropped that uh, to everybody. So if you want to go ahead and download that, that'll be used as a kind of a reference for the notes and some of the um, things that Kristen's going to work us through tonight. Um, <clears throat> if you have questions, if you want to um, just kind of hang on to those, we'll have an opportunity uh, after Kristen's done kind of working through the material to do Q&A. So um, just be thinking about things that she's saying them, you know, just reflect on those, love to welcome those questions. We'll get to as many of those as we can uh, towards the end. Um, and then if you're able to, I don't know what Kristen's preference is, but I always love seeing people's faces. So I know that, um, you know, this is Zoom and everybody can do whatever they want, but if you can show us your face, we'd love to see you just so as Kristen's kind of interacting, um, it's just easier to kind of read body language, well, digitally read your, bo your body language and nonverbal facial expressions. So again, no pressure, but uh, if you're able to do that, that would certainly create a little bit of community here. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's it as far as, um, as far as introductory. So I think uh, most of you have seen uh, in our promotional material, Kristen's bio, I won't uh, go back over that, but um, I just want to say I'm so thankful, Kristen, to have you here with us. Kristen has been over the over the last year or so um, has worked with our staff team and worked through the same material. And uh, Kristen and I have been friends for several years. Uh, I was actually eating dinner with my kids uh, right before this, uh, and uh, they were like, "Is this David Nevin's mom?" And so that's how my kids know Kristen is, is David Nevin's mom. But our kids go to school together and we've had an opportunity just to develop it. We've done some work together even, and I've had an opportunity to develop a great friendship. And I'm just really thankful. I think you'll really enjoy Kristen has, has uh, honed this material, not just like in an academic sense, but she has honed this through a lot of practice with uh, both for-profit and nonprofit organizations and leadership teams is kind of her specialty. But um, we found it to be helpful. We've used this even navigating conflict and trust uh, building within our missional community leadership and it's proven to be very, very impactful and effective. So if you've received that, just know this is where the secret sauce comes from. We didn't uh, we didn't come up with that. Obviously, all great ideas at SOMA come from somewhere else. And so uh, we're really grateful for Kristen just taking time to be with us tonight. Um, I want to just, I guess, set this up quickly just to say, uh, as we've been talking about what it means to be a more wholehearted community this year, to, to really increase our capacity to enjoy uh, life-giving, healthy, loving relationships and trusting relationships with other people. Um, really, I think one of the things you see is that trust is the basic building block of, of really of everything when it comes to relationships. I mean, the, the word for faith in the Bible, uh, one way to translate that or one meaning of that is the word trust. And so Kristen's going to make a much better uh, case for all this than me and, and put it all together. But I just want to say at the beginning, this is so important because we obviously are living in a time where there's a breakdown in trust, both on an individual interpersonal level. Um, I think if we're honest, probably even in our own souls, we don't always trust ourselves. Um, and uh, we've learned that from our families. We've learned that from all kinds of different social contexts. Um, we don't trust institutions. And so I know, as we mentioned, like there's a lot of anxiety floating around uh, in the atmosphere right now. And I know many of you are going to be going home uh, or, um, or at least having some kind of interaction with family. 
pretty intensely over the next couple months. And I know that triggers all kinds of uh, just feelings and all kinds of questions. And so we wanted to just take some time to slow down and pause and say, hey, what does it look like for us to develop and work on these skills? These are skills that can be developed and cultivated. And so that's the good news is there's hope. And so Kristen's going to share with us just some some tools and I think a really great uh, framework and one of the best I've ever encountered on how to work through and navigate both kind of defining what is trust and then uh, how do we build trust and what do we do when trust is broken? How do we go about repairing that? So uh, I'm going to pray for us and then uh, I'll hand it over to Kristen. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity just to be together tonight. Thank you for the um the uh, the work that's been put in here to to think and to just reflect on the importance of trust for Christian spirituality, for relationships, for wholeheartedness. And I pray, God, that you would make us a more wholehearted community. Teach us, God, how to be to be humble and to have the courage to step into this this hard work. Uh, but God, we know this is this is your design for healthy relationships. And so, God, we want to trust you that uh, even situations that seem impossible, that seem irreparably irreparably broken can be rebuilt uh, by the power of your spirit at work in your church. And so we want to just kind of lean into that tonight and uh, just be curious. And so help us to listen well and to learn. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Brandon. Um, it's an honor to be with you all. And I just want to thank you for carving out some time tonight. Uh, this is a really important topic, obviously, um, and there's a lot of layers to it. So we're just gonna kind of lay the foundation. Um, Megan is sharing here, and this will be helpful to me too. If you know how to change your name in Zoom, um, this would be a great time to do it because there's like seven or 10 Megans in here. <laughs> so if you just click on your name on the lower left part of the picture, um, a little drop down box comes up and one of the options is rename. And if you click on rename, you can type in your name. Um, I, if, I'm sure you can imagine, I have tons and tons of teams I meet with on Zoom. And I have this one team that like probably half of them are probably ADD. <laughs> so about halfway through the meeting, I can tell them starting to lose them because they start changing their name like every, based on whatever conversation or phrase or movie reference or song reference. I'm like, okay, I lost them but it's fun and it just keeps, keeps something changing, you know? So um, my passion is to see the church thrive. Um, I grew up in the church. My parents served in volunteer ministry roles. Um, my husband's been on staff at a church. His dad was a pastor. And I sort of jokingly say that I know how the sausage is made in that I know that there's messiness and brokenness and complexity when it comes to church and ministry, but there is so much purpose and beauty and potential. And so rather than having the brokenness of the church push me away, it's drawn me in to say, what's my part in helping the church be healthy and thrive? And so, um, one of the things that I'm sure we all have a story <laughs> is um, church conflict that comes up a lot in lots of different forms and settings. And um, I have a friend who says there's no hurt like a church hurt. And that really connects to my heart, you know, and again, it doesn't have to be like that. 
we can we can do better. Um, some of it's just knowing how. And um, there's a spiritual formation side to this of growing in maturity and Christ-likeness. And there's a skill set part of this of knowing what to do and how to do it. And so we're going to talk about both um, over our over our time together. I do want to make sure if you have a chance that you um, either print out or at least be able to look at the handout. There's a two-page handout. The first page is just a place for you to kind of take notes and capture ideas as we're talking. The second page, I'm actually going to have you practice on what we're doing so that you get some hands-on time with this tonight. And so um, it'll be helpful if you can see that. And um, I will also have slides show this slide. So if you need to see it that way, you can too. Okay. So um, let's go to the slides. All right. And so here's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, Brandon's already kind of laid the foundation for why we're here. We're trying to become a more wholehearted community. We're trying to build the skills um, to be able to navigate conflict in healthy ways. But even more than conflict, it's about um, understanding trust, what trust is, how to build it, why it breaks down sometimes, and then how do you rebuild it? And so um, we're gonna look at Ephesians 4, talk about why trust matters. Um, we're gonna define trust, talk about what damages it and then how to repair it. I'm gonna give you some practice on that. And then we'll make space for some Q&A and talk about next steps. So some of this is gonna be interactive where I'm gonna ask you to um, put something in the chat to answer some of these questions. So if you wanna be ready to do that, um, that'll just kind of keep us interacting and um, for you to be able to get some input. So um, if you know much about Enneagram, um, I'm an Enneagram nine. And so Enneagram nines are sometimes called peacemakers, but um, the growth area for Enneagram nines is navigating the difference between real peace that's healing and transformative versus a false peace where I'm just avoiding conflict or avoiding the discomfort of um, disagreements. And, um, and so as I've been trying to grow and learn more about myself and grow in these areas, I started thinking about in scripture, um, the idea of conflict. And when you start to look for how conflict shows up in scripture, you start to realize it's from the very beginning to the very end. And it comes up all the time um, from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden of Adam and Eve saying, did God really mean that? Did God really have our best intentions in mind? Cain and Abel. Um, the first murder all the way through. And so jump forward to Jesus and the disciples. There's lots of disagreement, argument, conflict, question of trust, and then jump even further forward to um, in the New Testament when Paul is writing to churches 
again and again in the Bible and different letters that Paul writes, he speaks specifically to conflict that is happening in churches. And so it's not just us. It's not just now. It's not a new thing. This is part of human nature. But it's also an opportunity to step back and say, okay, if conflict is just part of life and part of even the way um, churches function sometimes, how should we be different? How should we approach it in a way that's redemptive, that's healing, that's transformative, that reflects the image and the character of God that helps us be more and more like Jesus and not just look like everybody else. And so if I was gonna pick one chapter in the Bible and say, this is a place that really captures a lot of these big ideas, it would be Ephesians chapter four. And so I'm gonna read some of it, but I would really encourage you to take some time um, after tonight and really look at Ephesians four and how it speaks to relationships. So let me just read a couple different parts here. So it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And let me jump down um, to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So then jumping forward to verse 17, um, Paul starts talking about how we should interact with each other. So then I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So he jumps down verse 25. And again, all of this is really good. I'm just moving for the sake of time here. Verse 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind 
and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And I'm going to go forward to chapter five, verse one. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there's a lot there, and I'm not going to go into unpacking all of it. I just want to kind of paint a broad picture of just in a few verses how Paul is really getting into the life of the church, what it really means to be in relationship with one another. And so there's a few things going on here. Um, he's speaking, there's an individual component of what's our personal part in contributing to this community that's healthy and unified. There's a collective invitation to um, the collective you that um, what we together need to be doing in right relationship. He gets to this idea of identity. And this is a really big part of um, what it means to be in right relationship is we need to know who we are because out of that security, we can interact with others. And a lot of where trust breaks down is um, either a place of insecurity or a place where, um, where our identity is being damaged or challenged and it makes us afraid or defensive. And so we react out of that. There's a clarity of purpose growing up into maturity, into wholeness, into unity, and um, living a life of love. There's lots in this chapter about relationships, and there's this vision of what's possible of everybody working together, everybody doing their part um, so that the church is equipped for good works. And so there's tons more we could get into there, but I just want to um, put that out there. I also want you to think about um, looking at the Bible and thinking about all the different times where conflict or damaged trust comes up, as well as the idea of faithfulness um, comes up in the Bible. It's, it's a huge theme, and it's worth thinking about. So, you know, I think a really big and important question is why does trust even matter? Um, what's the big deal? And so this is a part where I want to invite you to um, share in the, in the chat. From your perspective, why does it matter that we work at um, being trustworthy? Um, that if there's broken trust, we work at trying to make it better, make it right. So how, what, what's the big deal? Why does it matter? Kristen, you want them to post right in to everyone? Yep, if they don't mind, yeah. Okay, Go ahead yeah, post. so if you can just drop just drop a comment to everyone where we can see it. Yeah. Why does trust matter? Trust matters because it helps you be close to someone and know who you depend on. It's really good. Go Kenny, way to be brave. You went first, good job. It's the glue that makes relationships work. It allows you to have helpful dialogue. Absolutely. 
You can't develop healthy relationships without trust. You can't have good communication without trust. It's really good. Allowing for vulnerability allows you to make progress in relationships. So great. Um, if I'm not trusting, I will not be honest. Yeah. I um, was working with a group of nurses once and we were um, working through a version of this process. Um, and there was a lot of broken trust within this group of nurses and um, individually amazing people, but in a group, there was just all this friction happening. And we talked about this idea of rating trust <laughs> on a scale of one to five. And so one is low and five is high. And so I said, you know, if you had to look around the room and rate your level of trust in each person on a scale of one to five, um, how would you do that? And it freaked them out. They were, they got really, really upset and um, really pushed back on the process. Here's the big learning that I had from that conversation as we were working through why this was freaking them out so much. Some of them said, when it comes to trust, I start at a one, I don't trust anybody. And then slowly they earn my trust and I notch it up from a one to a two to a three. Other people start at five and they automatically give trust. And then if people do things that damage their trust, then they notch it down. And I imagine there's people that kind of start in the middle and then decide person to person. But um, that was a really helpful insight to me um, that not everybody approaches trust even in the same way. That some people start out trusting, some people start out distrusting, and some people start out kind of neutral, and then they're always kind of reevaluating that level of trust. And so um, we tend to think, and I think I was realizing in that moment, I tend to think everybody approaches trust the same way. Either we all start out trusting or we all start out distrusting, and that's not true for everybody. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a history that very much affects how they even approach um, this idea of trust. And so um, your all's answers are fantastic. I will just add um, or reinforce, you can't have unity without trust. You can't be aligned without trust. You can't grow in maturity without trust. If someone's speaking into my life and saying, hey, Kristen, you're off on some things or you have some growth areas, I need to be able to trust them to hear what they're saying so that I have an opportunity to grow. We as a church, as an institution, as a group of people can't be credible unless we have demonstrated that we are worthy of trust. And so we can't um, challenge or invite people into something unless we've demonstrated that we're trustworthy. Um, being trustworthy reflects the image and the character of Christ. And if we're obviously not trustworthy, it doesn't reflect the image of Christ. And so um, 
I want to get into what do we mean by trust. And so this is really important because just like we all maybe approach trust differently, we might have different ideas of what trust actually means. And so this isn't the you know, exhaustive definition, but this is a really helpful starting point and it'll help us as we're navigating this, this time together. So I wanna offer two different definitions. And if you have your handouts, you'll notice there's blanks on the handouts for this part. Um, so the first definition of trust I would offer is that trust is confidence in the character and the competence of another person. So confidence in the character and the competence of another person. And what do I mean by character and competence? So character, I mean things like their honesty, their integrity, so how they are in one setting is how they are in another setting. And character has to do with having intentions for the good of others. So um, wanting the best for others, not just being self-serving. So competence, what I mean by that is people's skill, their motivation, and their capacity. So their ability to do what needs to be done. And the reason I think this is a really helpful definition because sometimes when we're talking about trust, someone will say, well, they're a great person. You know, I would trust them with my kids or, you know, I, I don't question their heart, but I don't think they're very good at what they're doing. And so what they're doing in that statement is they're separating out character and competence. I trust their character, but I don't trust their competence. Or think about it the other way. There's people that you could say they're really, really skilled. They're really capable. They're really competent, but I don't trust them as a person, you know, and I know they could do the job, but I don't believe in who they are and that they have people's best at mind. And so that separates out those two pieces. And that's why trust can get complicated sometimes. So another definition, and this comes from Brené Brown, and I think it's a really helpful one, is um, what's important to me can be entrusted to you. And so it doesn't mean that it's important to you, but because you care about who I am as a person and you've demonstrated that you can handle that well, I can trust you with it. So what's important to me can be entrusted to you. There's a generosity, there's a maturity, there's a track record in that that is all kind of showing up in this, in this definition. So let's kind of unpack this a little bit. Um, what I wanna talk about now is what breaks trust down and then we'll talk about how to rebuild it again. So um, one thing that can, um, that's important to understand about trust is that it's not a one and done kind of thing. And so this picture of these rocks kind of all stacked on each other is a helpful one because competence is modeled over time and character is modeled over time. And so it kind of stacks up layer by layer over time 
And when you think about this, it breaking down, think about pulling out one or two of these rocks and how just the whole pile tumbles down. And so it's a step-by-step -step process to build it up. And when it falls apart, rebuilding it is a step-by-step -step process again. Um, the things that can make trust get damaged, I would put it in three big categories. And I wanna give you time to think about this because I'm curious in the Q&A if you would add or have a different perspective on it. But I've seen that there's three big things that fundamentally damage trust. So I think it's people feeling devalued, so unappreciated, um, hurt, people feeling devalued, unsupported. So think about you're asking me to go do something, but you're not giving me any of the tools or resources to get it done. Or you expect something of me, but you don't teach me how to do it. That damages trust. So devalued, unsupported, or unsafe. So you're putting me in a situation, you're not um, protecting me or thinking about what I need to be okay in that situation. So I think almost all major issues of damage trust come down to one or more of these three pieces right here. And the reason that's important is because um, as you're listening to situations where other people are talking about damage trust, or you're thinking about scenarios in your own life, there's gonna be lots of details and lots of you know, um, narrative that goes into it. And what I wanna help you with is what's underneath that? What's fundamentally getting broken here? And um, to at least have these three to start with, to ask this diagnostic question, was it, did you feel devalued? Did you feel unsupported? Did you feel unsafe? Could get you pretty far down the road to at least um, starting to get some language for it, okay? But if you have other thoughts on that, I'm really interested to hear, especially as we get toward the end here. Okay, so this model right here um, comes from a guy named Ken Martledge and he, I'm using it with permission, but um, Ken Martledge came up with this. And this is a way that he explained um, kind of the, what happens when trust gets, gets damaged. And he called it mischief. And the reason he used the word mischief is because we don't always intend for bad things to happen. We don't intend to damage trust a lot of the time. So things start happening, events start unfolding, dynamics take place. And just like kids running around a house where something gets bumped and broken, they're not intending anything bad but there's still damage that happens and it needs to be dealt with. And so this can be true in relationships too. Sometimes there's bad intentions, but sometimes it's just um, crossed wires, disconnect, misunderstanding, but we need to be able to untangle that. So it starts with this idea of facts. And so facts are the scenario, the reality. So think about um, something you could record with um, video camera or a tape recorder or, um, you know, emails, calendar. So what are the 
what's the data, the information, the scenario. Um, and so I could have a version of the facts, but I might be missing things. And so that shapes my understanding of what's going on. A second um, dynamic is perception. So what's the, the way that I'm feeling or understanding what's going on? And I purposely put the word perception kind of in a lighter print here because perception is invisible. So as facts happen, as a scenario happens, you can't see the perception that's happening inside of me, how it's making me feel, the, the way that I'm understanding things, it's invisible. And so the, one of the challenges is when I'm making up that story, when I have that perception and I start to think that my story is the truth, that's when we start to get into mischief. And so um, that's where misunderstanding starts to happen. And I'm going to give you a couple of, of real life examples here. That final box there, triangle there at the top, is intention. So what was each person trying to accomplish? What were their motives? And this is another thing that's invisible. I can't see your motives. You can't see mine. And so um, as humans, we just, we are meaning making machines. We fill in the gaps. We make things up that seem to make sense to us, but could result in mischief. So let me give you two examples. So one's from work, one's from family. <laughs> so the work one is I had a client um, who I'd been working with for a couple of years. And if you know Enneagram, she's an Enneagram eight. Um, she's a leader and um, very strong, very decisive, very direct. And as COVID started to happen, um, her interaction with me started to decrease. So I was hearing less and less from her, the way meetings were working out, things were getting canceled last minute. So there's lots of like, um, just missing each other. And so we set up a meeting to be able to talk through, okay, where are we at? What's next? Let's reset. Let's talk about where we go from here. So those are the facts. And the, um, we get to the day of the meeting and I set up the Zoom call, show up on Zoom. I'm waiting. It's five minutes. It's seven minutes. It's 10 minutes. And she's not there. And I check my email and I check my text. I'm not hearing from her. And I was like, uh, I think she blew me off. Yeah, she's, yeah, again, there, she's not there. She didn't email me, she didn't text. She just blew me off. So I went from facts, she didn't show up or she's late to perception. Um, she just wasted my time. She didn't even care enough to tell me something else came up or she didn't put it on her calendar in the first place because it wasn't important. And all of a sudden there's these facts, she's not there that I'm assigning my perception. She doesn't care about me. She doesn't care about this work. She doesn't, I'm not important to her and intention. I bet it was a power play. I bet she was doing it to like make a point to, 
show that she's in charge, I'm not in charge, you know, and all of a sudden, all this mischief is happening and it's all invisible, right? And so um, I'm sending her emails going, hey, look like we missed you, what happened? There were facts missing from this scenario though. And that was that she got an emergency call from one of the people that she's in, responsible for who had an issue come up with a daycare and a kid and a COVID positive situation. And it came up minutes before our meeting was supposed to start. And so she couldn't stop in the middle to communicate with me because she needed to deal with this situation right away. And so once I had more facts, my perception changed and my understanding of her intention changed. And I had to calm down and I had to reset. <laughs> to realize this wasn't what it looked like. Um, but I went way, way down the road coming up with perception and intention um, just because of my, my piece of the facts. Okay, so that's one example. Another example is we, we have three teenagers. Our um, second teenager just started driving. And so um, the facts of the situation are she can now go places and we don't know where she is or um, we expect her to be at a certain place at a certain time and hopefully she's there. So just had a situation come up in the last week where she wasn't home when I was expecting her to be home. So those are the facts. So you can imagine the perception um, she's not communicating. She doesn't want us to know where she is. She's taking advantage of her freedom. She doesn't like that, you know, she doesn't want our authority. So all of a sudden I'm filling in perception and I'm filling in her intention. But all that I really have is the fact she's not here yet. And I don't know why. And I don't know what her intentions are. And so that's where mischief can happen, okay? So I'm sure you can think of dozens of other scenarios, maybe even this week, where this is played out in your own life, right? Is that making sense? And so this helps give us some language for the difference between these parts and pieces because we just mash them all up together. And then we make that whole thing our story. And so when I'm retelling, I'm saying, this client blew me off because it was a power play. She didn't even bother to tell me. And so I just mixed facts and perception and intention all together instead of separating them out and having the humility to question myself and say, it seemed like she wasn't prioritizing the meeting. It seemed like I wasn't important to her, but I didn't have all the facts. And so I needed to wait until I had all the facts to make, make, jump to some conclusions. So um, how do we repair trust? So there's plenty of ways for it to get broken down. I think the really important question is how do we put it back together again? And so I wanna start with just some simple ideas and then I wanna give you an actual framework, an actual tool to practice on to see how this could work together, okay? So I'm gonna start with the first phase of rebuilding trust is preparation. So when we're hurt or when trust is damaged, 
um, depending on your personality, depending on your history with, with conflict and damaged trust, some people just run right at it. Like, this is not right. This is not okay. We got to talk about it right now. <laughs> some people pull away for any number of reasons and motivations. You're not hurting me again. I'm not even going to give you a chance. I already know it's going to go on. We're done. And so any and anything in between. So to be able to step back and really prepare, this is where a lot of spiritual work happens. This is um, a place where God can be working on our hearts and on our character um, and even helping us notice thought patterns, bringing healing in some areas where we might have pain and scars from the past. And so um, there's a preparation phase to say, okay, we need to have this conversation. I want to show up the right way. God, help me. God, show me. God, um, help me think about this um, from the right perspective and really be ready for something that's genuinely about listening and reconciliation and not winning or control or those kinds of things. So there's the preparation phase, the actual talk, the actual conversation. And so um, this part can be a little bit scary for some people. Like I, what happens if it goes off track or what if, you know, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna talk about it? Um, and so I'm gonna show you a process, but I will say that you need to be ready to show up with humility. There might be things you don't know with curiosity to wonder why it played out the way it did, with generosity to say there's a better way and we can, we can do this differently, with self-control <laughs> when you wanna jump in or you wanna interrupt or you wanna um, fight for where you are coming from in it, how do you hold back a little bit? And most importantly, genuine repentance and forgiveness. Repentance meaning, let's try this a different way. And forgiveness to say, I'm not gonna keep holding this against you and we're gonna start fresh. We're gonna start from this point and move forward. And I have seen this happen both in corporate settings and in church settings and relational settings. And I will say this is one of the most holy and profound and powerful experiences I have ever been part of. It is, it is a powerful, powerful thing, but it is, it's hard to get into it. There's lots of resistance heading into it, but as people move through it and get on the other side, it's, it's powerful, it's profound. It's healing. And then the third phase, and this is a really important one, is following up. So sometimes when we have this big conversation or we work through something, kind of like get to the end, say, I'm sorry, me too, I forgive you, let's do better. And you just kind of are like, let's never speak of this again. <laughs> let's, let's just be done. And so sometimes we wanna just let it be and not bring it up again. But what really rebuilds trust like that um, stack of stones there from that picture is following up is saying, hey, how are we doing? Do you feel like I'm keeping my word? Is there anything I can do better? You know, that thing happened. Are you still mad? Let's have the conversation. It might be five minutes. 
every month, but it's still stacking those stones of trust again about character, about competence, about what's important to you can be entrusted. And it that's where a lot of the healing and the genuine rebuilding happens. And so that part takes some courage and some effort, but it is, there's a huge payoff for that. So practically, how do we do this? So this is where the second page of your handout has exactly this chart here. And so I'm gonna talk through it, but then I'm gonna give you a few minutes to actually um, either fill it out on the paper, or if you have blank paper, you can, you can do this as well, okay? And so this is the actual tool that um, I've shown the SOMA staff that they've worked through um, at times with the missional community and other settings. This is what we're actually using, okay? And so there's two rows there. The top row starts with behaviors the other person is doing that are causing problems. And so to really think about what is it that is causing the problem? Because sometimes we're just mad <laughs> or it's just not good and we don't really have words for it. And so this is um, helping you get to some clarity to say the real issue is this. And sometimes what happens is when you start to name something, you start to realize, well, that's not the real issue. It's actually, you know, not that she didn't show up for the meeting, but that I feel like she doesn't value me. It's not really that I feel like she doesn't value me. It's that I feel like she's not really committed to what we're doing here. And so all of a sudden it's going from, she didn't show up for the meeting to what are we, are we committed to the same thing together? And so that's a very different conversation, right? So behaviors the other person is doing, and then you actually write down First, just the facts. So what is, what's the data? What's the timeline? What's the actual conversation or situation? And then separating facts from perception. And so that's where it says impact on me or others. So how did it make me feel or what happened? You know, because my client didn't show up for this meeting I said no to another meeting. And so I wasn't available for some other things. Um, intention. So this is where you're really thinking about the motive of the other person. And you can't know for sure what that is, but it's really amazing to start to guess and hopefully to guess the most generous, most positive thing. So um, instead of assuming the worst, so what do you think the other person was trying to achieve? And then um, alternative, what, what do you wish they would do? Or what would you ask of them that would be different? Like just, um, you know, hey, send me a two minute or two word text running late or emergency situation, like something that's just a, real quick that you could do in five seconds that I know what's going on, you know, and if you can't, then I'm going to assume something came up and not that you blew me off. <laughs> right. And so what's, what's your request of the other person? So equally important is that second row behaviors I'm doing that could be causing a problem. 
And so before you go into any conversation, you need to fill out both rows, not just the other person one, but really think about for you in that particular situation, what's, what's my part? So the facts on my side of it. So what I've done, and maybe it's things that I haven't done. Like I didn't send a confirmation email that day to say, hey, just double checking we're on for our meeting this afternoon. Um, if anything comes up, let me know. Perception. So what's the impact on the other person? So maybe they think I'm disengaged. Maybe they think I'm distracted or not committed. And so my lack of proactive communication could be sending a message to that person that they don't think I'm as committed as, as um, they want me to be. Intention, what was I trying to accomplish? Maybe I'm trying to not pile up her email. I'm trying to demonstrate that I trust that if she makes an appointment on her calendar, she's gonna keep it and I don't have to double check it. But um, so I'm, you know, I might've had good intentions, but I might need to get under the surface too and say, I don't like to feel controlled. I don't like to, um, I don't like to have to make that effort. And so I need to own my part. And then alternative, what can I do differently? So maybe we need to talk through communication, but also commitment and um, how do we model our commitment to each other first as people and second to the work that we're doing. And so what, what can I do to, to demonstrate that? So I can offer some things in that alternative section. Is that making sense? And so what you're really doing here is you're preparing by, by writing this out. You're also given some space really to listen to the Holy Spirit. So God, what are you revealing to me about my character, my assumptions about the other person? And even in that intention and alternative space, you're starting to ask, what do I hope would be true? What do I want our relationship to be? And um, it can open up some space for you to both pray and envision what does health look like in this relationship? Instead of just focusing on what isn't good, what do you want there to be there? Okay. And so I'm going to give you some time to actually practice this. And so I'll bring back this screen in just a moment. But what we're going to do um, is I'm going to give you about five minutes um, to think about a situation. If you're sitting near someone, you can do your own and you guys don't have to share it with each other. Okay. So I'm not going to ask you to share what you're writing on the paper. I am going to ask you if you want to, to share what it was like to do this exercise. Okay. So you can like burn your paper when you're done with it and nobody else has to see it, <laughs> okay? But I do want you to practice with it while we're together so that if you're like, wait, what's this part again? We can, we can talk about it here, okay? So, but I promise you don't have to share what's on your paper, okay? So think about a real situation. It might even be something that's in the past and um, fill out the row for the other person, um, what they did that, 
was a problem and then same situation, what's your part in it? And I'm gonna set my timer for five minutes here and, um, and then um, we'll come back and check in on that, okay? So I'm gonna give you five minutes and I will put the screen back so you can see the, see the one from the slide as well. About two and a half more minutes.
About 30 more seconds. All right. So for this part, um, I am going to ask you if you are willing to go ahead and unmute. And um, if a, a few people would be willing to share, um, what was it like to fill this out? Did you have any ahas? Did you get stuck at any part? Um, what was it? What was it like to fill this out? So go ahead and you can unmute and share. I'll go ahead, Kristen. Sure. This is great. I um, what I noticed right away was uh, for my facts of what they what they did and what I did. Um, I started with my uh, my perception. <laughs> it was like really hard to be like, nope, that's not a fact. <laughs> that was just my perception. That is not a fact at all. So I really had to go back and move that over to the perception column. Like, okay, what were the real facts? So that was yeah. helpful. Just separating those two. Yeah, that is really good and really common, actually. And um, so good job. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Thanks. Good, what else? I think for me, um, I noticed that like I'm more so someone who like I'll review what's happening and then I get to like my perception. And I'm like, ah, this is it. Like, this is the moment. Everything's like pulled together. Like, it makes sense. It's so clear when it's like, I'm like almost proud of myself for like coming to this perception of like, oh, now, now I understand why this happened. Like now it makes mm -hmm. sense when I feel like it should be the opposite. Like I shouldn't come to that conclusion. Like that's not a good thing. I'm like a, making an assumption about like why this happened or I don't know. So I think it's just a good reminder to me that, you know, like that's just my perception and that stirs up a lot more drama than there really needs to probably be. Yeah. That's a huge insight. And I think perception in itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think it's when we start to believe that our perception is truth, you know? And so um, I think the best way to think about it is um, to be open-handed about it or to say what I think is going on, or I'll just even use the phrase, my perception of the situation is, and so it's just a way for me to remind myself and me to say out loud, this is in this box of perception, maybe reality, maybe not. And so um, that's a point where I know that groups or individuals are getting, getting this big idea is if I start hearing them say, my perception of the situation is, and it just, it helps us hold it more loosely. Yeah, thanks Jessica, that's really good. Couple more. Okay, if nobody else wants to go, I'd like to take a turn. 
Sure. Thanks, Kenny. Okay. So I'm finding when I'm filling out the chart, I, as an Enneagram type six, will think of a lot of worst case scenarios. And I constantly think to myself, okay, that's probably not what happened, but let's not dismiss the possibility. I try to keep my cool, but when I really, really get triggered is when I found out that my perception is the other person's intention. Like when they strip admitted, yeah, I was lying to you for my own amusement to get a reaction out of you. Like my perception is their intention. That's when I tend to get triggered and go off. Totally. It's yeah. rare that happens though, but that's what usually will get me. Yeah. And if it happens once or twice, it helps you kind of lays down in your brain. This does happen sometimes. People really do do bad things because they mean to. And so I need to consider that could be a possibility. And so, but I think it's so wise that you realize as an Enneagram six that you tend to do that. And I think growth is being able to slow yourself down a little and separate it out a little bit before you jump really quick to the next thing and the next thing, you know, and making up that story or believing the worst thing is the true thing. And so that's, that's great. And you explained that really well. Thanks, Kenny. <laughs> yeah, a couple more people. Oh, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Is your volume up? Not yet. That's a shame. It was going to be profound. If it best, oh, best always has good things to say. <laughs> <laughs> You guys will get it figured out. I know you will. So I do want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> it's a team thing. It's good. It's good. Maybe one or two other people. As you're working that out, as soon as you're ready, jump in. I can go while they're trying to figure that out. Yeah, great. Sorry, my, my video doesn't work. But anyway, it was just kind of a freeing uh, experiment there just to try to put my mind in the other person's mind to see what they're thinking and just try to hope for the best really versus jump to negative things like you were explaining earlier so it's just kind of a freeing thing it really is and um I think that's a really great way to explain it as being really freeing and then getting into the other person's mind um I think the more we can try to do that, first of all, it slows us down a little. Um, it opens up our imagination because we start trying to think about the world from their perspective. And um, I'm biased, but I think Enneagram is a really helpful way to do that. If you can know or have an idea what their Enneagram type might be, you might have a better idea of what's motivating them. And it might help you to have more empathy, even more compassion, you know, thinking about my client who didn't show up for that meeting. Um, she's really fast paced. 
And um, it may not have even occurred to her that it would have bothered me. She might've been like, look, I'm busy. I got to do what's most important. I'm doing what I have to do. Sorry, you don't like it. But you know, if you care about me and you care about the things I care about, then you're going to understand why this is more important. And so just if she thought about it, that might have been what happened in her mind, you know, but I don't think she was out to get me or hurt me. And so I was taking it personally because of my stuff that I needed to work through. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I think it does, it does really open up your mind that way. That's a really great way to say it. Couple more. I appreciate how brave you're being. Sometimes it can be, it takes the minute to kind of unmute and talk and all the things on Zoom. So I don't mind waiting a second. I don't feel like I have a new thought necessarily, but I really appreciated you saying that this causes us to slow down. And even to what Dan said about putting things in the wrong columns, I could very quickly, like as I was real, realizing what I was writing, I have anger, like I have angry feelings and they're coming out in what I'm writing. And if I was too hasty, I could just get through this and be like, okay, I did the exercise. Let's move on to the talking part. And that's not necessarily going to help if I haven't truly worked through and gotten them in the correct columns with healthy dialogue and healthy preparation for the actual talking to the other human part. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I just really appreciated you saying like, it really just causes me to slow down and think about very specific things to bring up in the conversation. Yeah, that's so good. And I, I mean, I really do think this is part of how we grow in spiritual maturity. I think it gives space for us to let God work on us and let God help us notice things and for even for God to bring out the best in us instead of the worst. And it doesn't mean we don't feel angry. It doesn't mean that we don't have to deal with those emotions. And even, you know, Ephesians chapter four talks about in your anger, don't sin. And so the issue isn't having anger or not. It's about um, how quickly we react to it or if we use that to cause harm or hurt to other people, you know? And so um, anger is just part of, part of life too. It's just, how do we, how do we react to it? Um, so I want to see if there's any more things. And then I want to just talk about one more thing before we go into the question and answer part. So any more thoughts or reflections on this? This has been so good. Did you get the tech thing figured out so we can hear you? Oh, okay. maybe you can put it in the, in the chat. <laughs> I had another thought about your worksheet. Yeah, Going kidding. through it, Ashley made me think of even more scenarios than I normally would when I was trying to fill it out. I yeah. found it highly ironic, but it did. Yes, and that actually happens a lot. So sometimes when, um, I have people that are struggling with each other where there's damaged trust and lots of different situations have happened. The first phase of this, I have them just like kind of vent on paper. So just fill it all out. So all the things, all the situations. 
And then before they would ever go to talk to anybody else, um, we talk about it together. So as a mediator, I would talk to them and help them do just what you said, Dan, about are you sure this is a fact or maybe does it belong in this other column? You know, do we need to dig a little deeper on what's really going on? And even in that alternative column, if this other person did the thing you're asking, would it really help restore trust, really? You know, and so sometimes we just kind of fill in the blank and we don't really think about, is this really gonna start to bring healing, start help me believe in their character or their competence differently. Um, and so getting it all out is helpful because then it's not, we're not carrying it all in our bodies or our minds. But the next question that I'll ask is, okay, if we could only talk in real life about one of the things on this whole sheet of paper, which one do you think is most important to talk about? And that can be really, really helpful too, because often that whole pile of things, there's maybe one or two that are really the core issues and everything else just sort of branches out <laughs> of those core, those core issues. Um, I had a group where it was a church staff and one of the key leaders on the church staff, um, all the rest of the staff felt like that one leader was undermining them, was saying bad things about them, was questioning their integrity and didn't trust them. And so the whole rest of the staff kind of had this story that this one person didn't trust them. And so it, it, created a us and them situation. And so I had these four people, all of them had all these stories and all these situations and all these encounters. And so we had to just get it down to what's the one or two that if we could only talk about this, it would start to rebuild. And almost all of them, we ended up on actually the same topic for the whole group because there was really one fundamental interaction that launched all the other damaged trust and questioning um, questioning character in that in that leader and for the leader with everybody else. And so um, a lot of times you need to get it out so that it's not all inside, but you also need to sort it out to the one thing. And then let's say that doesn't solve it all. Now you have it all on paper to solve the, you know, talk about it next time for the next thing. Um, so let me just say one quick thing and then I want to make time for questions here. So we've talked about what trust is, what can damage it, and then you've had some practice using this tool to think about a real conversation. So if like, let's say you actually get into the conversation. Andy, and I'm gonna pick on you because um, you just seem like you can handle it. Um, so if Dan and I need to talk through an issue, one scenario is ahead of time, Dan and I say, okay, what's not working here? And um, what's the situation that happened? And so that we're both aware that we need to talk about a particular situation. So I don't just show up 
where Dan is someday and be like, hey, this happened. We've got to talk about it. Add my paper. Let's go. <laughs> you know what I mean? So Dan needs some heads up and we need time, both of us, to prepare for the conversation. And then when we actually get into the conversation, we need to lay out, um, we need to time to kind of take turns to say, okay, what were the facts of what really happened? And so maybe I would go first and say, here's what happened from my perspective, here are the facts. And then it'd be Dan's turn and Dan can be like, Kristen, that's, I agree with all of that. What you didn't know is, and then he would kind of fill in some of the blanks because there might be things that I'm missing in that line of facts, okay? So now we have a more complete understanding of the facts. And then we could go the next step and I could say, so my perception from what happened is, and then I can read off my paper if I want to and say, I felt like this, it seemed like this, it, this happened to me. And then Dan could say, well, my perception is this and this and this. That moment is when we start to see each other differently because the invisible things inside of me and inside of him are now starting to be visible. And hopefully that's a point where both of our hearts are starting to soften toward each other. That it isn't just this like arm wrestling of my facts and his facts, but this realization of the behaviors and interactions had, had an effect on each of us. And then we can get to intentions. And I could say, here's what I think you were intending. Here's what I was intending. And he could clarify that. And that's, again, our hearts have another opportunity to soften. Like, man, you thought that I didn't care about you. You thought I was blowing you off. You thought that, you know, I was playing power games with you. I just got swept up in another situation. I would never blow you off, you know? And so we start to see each other's hearts differently. And then that's where I could say, I'm sorry for assuming the worst about you. I'm sorry for not being proactive and communicating. Well, I'm sorry you would ever think I would blow you off. I'm, I'm committed to this work. We gotta do this together. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. I'm sorry, Dan. Dan could say, I forgive you. And now we could say, so here's what we're gonna do differently next time. And so we physically write down the commitments we're going to make to each other. So Dan, I commit to being proactive in communication. I commit to not jumping to negative conclusions. I commit to bringing stuff up quickly if I'm concerned. Yeah, I commit to, and so Dan would show, say what he commits to. And then we would set a time and say, let's put on the schedule right now. In two weeks, we're going to have coffee together and we're going to check in on those commitments. And we're gonna look at what we wrote down and say, how am I doing? How are you doing? Is there anything else that's coming up? Okay. So that's how this becomes real. Sometimes it's so um, complex or so um, fractious, so conflicted that you need a, a person kind of facilitating it. You need somebody else to help listen and keep everything going because it's just, it can be emotional. It can be complicated. And so sometimes that can be part of it too. Um, but sometimes you can work it through together, just the two of you and, um, or groups or that kind of thing. But I wanted you to hear kind of how do you take this paper 
and turn it into an actual conversation. What's, what's the step-by-step -step of it, okay? So let me open it up for questions. And how I wanna end is I want you to be able to put in the, in the chat, here's my next step. And so I want you to be thinking about what you'll say for your next step. But um, until then, let's open it up for some questions. All right, Kristen, I've got a few that have been sent to me. So maybe you start with these and then we'll see where that goes. Um, so somebody asked, what are your recommendations when you have the talk, the talk, I love that. <laughs> uh, it sounds very big and scary and like uh, preteenish. Um, when you have the talk with someone and they aren't willing to make a change or maybe they are even skeptical about having the conversation, you know, in other words, they're not, they, they don't follow the process all the way through. Yeah, um, so sometimes that happens and you kind of have to figure out what you're willing to do. Um, so one scenario is you get someone to help you. Um, one scenario is you figure out like what's a baby step, you know? And you could say, I get that you're not ready to have this full conversation right now. I'm really committed to us trying to work this through. Is there anything I can do that would help you see that? And so it may be that they're like, I need you to leave me alone for a little while. I need some space. Fine, then honor that. Um, but set a timeline. So, you know, like, can we re revisit this conversation in two weeks or a month or? so that it's not just open-ended, but that there's a check-in point. Um, so those would be two options, be get help or see what, what baby step could be an option. Yeah, and so one of the things you've, I know you've said is like just not assuming everybody has the skills or the resilience to have these conversations, there's a journey. And so, you know, we talked Sunday at church about moving from kind of emotional infancy to emotional adulthood and so, and you probably shouldn't say this, but like in my mind, sometimes it helps me if I look at the person and say, okay, even if they're an adult, like how would I treat my eight-year-old? Uh, and how would my eight-year-old respond to this? Like I'd be able to have a quick conversation and maybe I make some progress, but I'm not going to have this massive conversation that ends with reconciliation. We always talk about reconciliation um, as if it's a, if, if, as if it's like a, we have a conversation and then everything's good and we're going on vacation together, but it's, it's actually like many, many steps of movement towards reconciliation, but, you know, sometimes reconciliation really never comes in this lifetime. And so, but I think something like imaging sometimes helps you to say, you know, understanding where they're at in their journey, not trying to force them to be somewhere they're not, you know, and you're going to get, when people have engaged in this work, I can tell you our staff, even as they've gone back and like engaged family members, they've had family members blow up on them and explode on them and not act mature. They've had people just withdraw and totally pull back. I mean, it's, you know, you, you don't know what the response is, but, you know, just, just to encourage you guys, that's, that's very common, you know, and I think Kristen's helped us just to say, hey, stay with it, keep pursuing, keep praying and, and persevere, you know, in the work. Absolutely. Um, another question, and I don't know how much you'd be able to, you would be able to speak to this, Kristen, but um, just any insights into like attachment styles and kind of family of origin and, and how that plays into this conversation in terms of trust and engaging in healthy conflict? Um, so I will say that I am not an expert in attachment styles, so I can't speak to it at 
at depths. What I would say is the more you can understand about someone's story, um, what's, what's shaping how they're acting now, um, the more you can have realistic expectations, the more you can have empathy, and the more that you can separate out what's happening in your interaction versus the bigger context of what's happening in their story. And so some things may not be personal. It may be coming out of a lot of other history. And so, um, so that's as much as I could say speaking to it right now, but I think it's worth learning more about and being sensitive to as you're going into complex situations. Would you say, Kristen, that though that people's conflict or their trust style maybe um, is pretty stable from, you know, if there's not been an intervention that it's pretty stable and from childhood to adulthood and your experience with people and then like knowing their stories and then like, what does it take to shift something like that? Where have you seen people maybe who've had a pretty stable pattern of being avoidant, let's say, if they, you know, they had a, an attachment style or maybe, um, you know, their parents weren't consistently showing up for them and feelings weren't part of the conversation. And so they're more withdrawing and all of a sudden, you know, there's been a massive shift uh, as a result of something that happened. How, how have you seen that turn? Um, I mean, I think the, the main um, catalyst for turning is usually involves therapy. <laughs> so they usually get help um, and build skills around it. But um, it's also seeing other styles of, um, of interacting and starting, I mean, there's a maturity level and this isn't a statement of value on people, but um, there's a point where you, you only see the world from your perspective. And then there's a point where you start going, there's a lot of other ways to maybe to navigate this or see this. That's, that's a statement of maturity and then you start to ask, which way am I doing it? And is this the only way? And that takes time. And, um, and even when you want to do things a different way, doesn't mean you always know how to do them a different way. And so um, relationships are messy and people are always in process. And so this is, that's part of the journey. So would you encourage people to maybe start with themselves and just say, hey, what is my style and what can I learn about myself and assume that they are contributing? I mean, oftentimes I think we get into this and it's like, well, what are they doing? You know, and, and maybe our, we minimize our contribution and we maybe exaggerate their contribution to it. And so would you encourage like a first step to maybe say, maybe I've never seen it done any other way than yelling and exploding or withdrawing and being passive you know, how would somebody get started on that journey themselves? I definitely think um, self-awareness is a, is a important first step. Um, I think Enneagram is a great way to start to gain some of that self-awareness um, because it hands a lot of that to you to say, here's what's common. Here's the common patterns. Here's the things to be noticing. And then when you start noticing them, you can start to ask what would be a better healthier, more whole way. The other thing is when you start working on yourself, you start to have a lot more compassion and empathy for other people and where they're coming from. And just um, 
and more realistic expectations of how long it can take to get from where they are to a different place. And so we can just be more generous and more compassionate with each other along the way. Yep, that's good. Um, what, um, when you know maybe the other party is not safe, some of these words that you, you've used are not supportive or maybe even you know has a history of being hurtful um, do you, do you think it's worth the effort to engage this if, if you don't feel like there's going to be a positive outcome? That was another question. Yeah, it's a really good one. And, um, I think my answer to that question is that this process is not, um, the only process and not always the best process. So for unsafe people, for people that, um, the assumption is going to be they're going to be hurtful emotionally or some other way. Um, there might be some in-between place between just completely damaged trust and complete restoration. Um, because thinking back to that stack of rocks there, the, the competence and the character, if there's not a possibility that they either have the character or the competence to start to rebuild that trust, then this may not be the road to walk down. And so again, from a spiritual maturity perspective, um, we might need to be able to say, I wanna love them where they are. I wanna acknowledge the place they're in and I'm willing to be as at peace as I can with them, but it doesn't mean that we're gonna be in full relationship um, because there isn't the safety there. Yeah, that's good. So making sure that you understand the, the limitations of the tool in some ways and everything you basically said at the beginning would be the assumptions that you're kind of operating out of to be able to use this tool well, right? So if yeah. these things are not true or not in place, then maybe you may need to explore some different, different options. Again, you want to make sure you don't show up for, uh, you know, gunfight so to speak with a with a knife I don't know if that's the best analogy but <laughs> sometimes sometimes people are coming with the guns loaded and you you just are like hey I'm not even I didn't want a gunfight so yes absolutely yeah. yeah I mean we need um, to be realistic yeah. yeah it's a really good yeah. point yeah well hey I know we're up against our time here uh nine o'clock we want to be done um I would love to just invite you, Kristen, if you wouldn't mind to pray over this group. I know that when people tend to show up for workshops, it's because they're in the middle of something or they're experiencing some pain um, points that just maybe you're feeling hopeless or feeling discouraged or despairing, or maybe they're just like, man, charged up and ready to like jump into something that, you know, maybe, maybe there needs to be a pause or a, a slowing down of that. And so, yeah, just a very emotional time, obviously with the pandemic going on and so much happening in our world. So yeah, I would love if you'd pray for us. And I want to say before you do that to anybody on here, we would love to help you and enter into this space with you. We don't have all the answers, but um, this is what we do. This is why we exist as a church is to help, as Kristen said, to help us live into this Ephesians 4 vision. And so we're not always going to get it right, but if we can come around you, if we can pray for you, support you, be a mediator, um, help you grow in self-awareness, we'd love to We'd love to be a resource uh, for any of you that are uh, willing to have the courage to step into that space. So um, just wanted to say that, please email us, uh, email me, reach out to me or our staff. We'd love to help you with that. So Kristen, would you mind praying for us? I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you um, 
model this idea of being able to speak grace and truth. And I thank you that you um, never stop pursuing us. You never stop desiring right relationship, um, but you're able to just love us where we are and how we are at the same time. And so Lord, I pray for each person who has been part of tonight that um, you would help them as they navigate um, damaged trust relationships, that you would help them um, be the peacemaker that you talk about in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, blessed are the peacemakers. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help each person here to um, first be in right relationship with you, with themselves, and with the people around them, and that you would help them to bring wholeness and healing and peace. And Lord, where that is not possible um, in the ways that we envision, I pray that you would do what only you can through your grace, through your presence, through your goodness, Lord. We want to see healing and health and wholeness in this world. And we know that that comes from you. So um, help us, show us our part. And um, we pray for you to be glorified in relationships and in conversations. We pray for strength and for um, wisdom as we're trying to navigate all of this, Lord. We need your help and we thank you that you are with us. We give you ourselves in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, thank you guys for being on here. Have a great rest of the night. Thank you, Kristen, again. Yeah, it's great to be with y'all. Thanks for your time tonight.